Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have brought us here. We thank you that you have put within us a desire to be creative, to act on ideas, and to see things uh, come to a reality, come to fruition. And we're just grateful that you have woken us up today. Uh, we do not want to take that for granted. We pray that during our time together, you'll inspire us and help us to leave here ready to do new and more innovative things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I'm glad you're here today. I hope to speak for about 15 minutes, and then we are going to have somewhat of a workshop. So I'm hoping we can make this very practical for everyone, because I know that a lot of times there are things that the Lord has put on your heart that rather than talk about a theory, it's much more practical to talk about reality and something you're wrestling with, an idea or a problem you're looking to solve, and I believe that'll be the way that we get the most out of this seminar. How many people here are a business owner? Okay, that's pretty good. That's nearly half of us. How many of us have an idea that we've pondered perhaps for a few years, maybe many years, that you'd like to see come to reality? You got this idea, and if there was a way to make it real, it'd be great. Any hands? Yeah? Okay, I could raise two hands there. Uh, well, I want to share with you today my passion that I began to really hone in on that derives from a statement from the book Christ's Object Lessons. It's page 349. And that statement is that religion and business are not two separate things, they are one. And that's not necessarily easy to digest because often in religious circles, we have divorced these ideas. I work six days a week, and I go to church on Sabbath. And I believe that the Lord intended so much more as we live our lives to have such, such mission that all the time we are in our religious element, even if we're not necessarily in a church. Uh, if you think about it, a pastor's customers show up to his place of business three hours per weekend. But a business person's customers show up to their place of business potentially 40 to 60 hours a week. So there's a lot more opportunity for interaction with someone in the business world than at perhaps a pastor of a local church on a weekend. So what I'm hoping is, if you have ever felt, or maybe the Lord is even now touching your heart to do something innovative, to start an organization, to improve your organization, to start a business, I believe that is something divine, and I believe that it is something that God has desired for all of us. Something I learned recently is that business makes us dependent upon one another. Um, a lot of times we think that if we were completely self-sustaining, that's a word sometimes used in Adventist circles, all would be well. But think about it. If I lived on a farm somewhere and I raised sheep, my sheep gave me my clothing, right? Um, I raised all my own produce, so I have all my own food. I have a water supply. I have uh, trees that I could cut down for warmth. I have a lot of books already, and so I'm good there for my entertainment, and I'm married and have two kids. Let's just assume with this little sphere 
that we are in the middle right here. We could say we are self-sustaining. The truth of the matter is, arguably, this person needs no one else to get through life pretty okay. But, we're but also, think about this. How much time does it take to raise sheep to get the wool for your clothing? How much time does it take to raise your own produce to eat your own food? How much time does it take to wash your clothes because they've gotten dirty? To wash the dishes because you've eaten from them? Uh, you, uh, to prepare the wood to stay warm in the home? To cook your food? Whatever it may be, right? We, we, we're doing an extreme example. But the idea is you would work all the time. When would you have any time for downtime, right? So I believe with business, it allows us to focus on something where we say, I am going to raise sheep 12 hours a day. That's going to be my specialty. And with my surplus of wool, I'm going to go to the marketplace and I'm going to find a way to trade with what I need. Right? So business makes us dependent upon one another. And in the, in the circuit of beneficence that we learned so much about in the scripture and in the writings of Ellen White, business can make us dependent on one another. I trust that I make the best, or let's say this, I grow the best carrots, and I'm going to trust that you make the best clothing. And so what I'd like to do is trade you carrots for clothing, and obviously money and all these things are just the medium through which we use to get your product. So business can make us dependent upon one another. Now, there's a statement by a gentleman named Victor Hugo that says, there is nothing so powerful as an idea whose time has come. And in the world, we're seeing lots of ideas come to reality that now we're starting to realize we can't live without. Anybody have a product you just feel like you can't live without? Any smartphone owners? Yeah? No, not at all. Shower? Hot water shower you just can't live without. Well, there's, there's a lot of us who may say, my smartphone. We have, on the average, we check it 85 times a day, and we can't live without it. And the whole world is becoming dependent and, and going through the smartphone. I believe the Lord has put within all of us an idea, an innovative spirit to do things. The trick is, though, how do we take that idea and make it a reality? Because a lot of times, the greatest hindrance from seeing that idea we have turn into reality is what? Money? All right, let's, let's put money over here. Fear. Time. And what's the last one? Fear. Fear of what? I'm going to go with fear. There's lots of this in the world. We do have a limited amount of time. But the thing that usually limits us is fear. And it's interesting, as we look, let's take an example in the sporting world. A successful batting average in baseball is what? Somebody's pretty good if they have a batting average of what? Over 300. We believe a baseball player is successful if he fails 70% of the time. That's a good baseball player. Basketball player, a good shooting percentage. What are we looking at? 45%. Kobe was way less than that. And he's great. But we're going to say a good basketball player has a failure ratio, oh, that's a good five, of 55%. Uh, quarterback rating, maybe pushing 60%, passer rating, completion ratio. So a, a football player at 40% failure rate, he's amazing. We're going to put him in the Hall of Fame. But in the business world, 
we usually would say, oh, for one, business is not for you. You need to go do something else. This is not your calling, right? What if we took the same idea we generously give into the athletic world and we put it into the world of business? As I got to speak with some venture capitalists over the last few years, I learned something fascinating. And I learned that they play like they play a batting average. And here's their average. I'm going to attempt nine and hope I succeed on the tenth. If I have a 10% success ratio, I win. And how do I get to that 10%? I have to invest in nine. So that's where we see biblical principles about casting our bread on many waters, not knowing what will prosper. So if this is a principle that the world uses, a lot of times, think about it. How many people do you know that you could say uh, they failed in something? Pretty good. Anybody know someone? Anybody would admit to I failed in something? If I had another hand, I'd raise it. So what if we started to look at things and said, hey, you know what? If venture capitalists, some of the richest people in the world, go with the principle of I'll use all the wisdom I can get, but the odds are one out of 10 will be my success ratio. Then their goal would be, I need to get through nine failures to get to the 10th success story. And, and basically that makes us realize, wow, to do that, you almost would have to celebrate failure because you're one step closer to the winner. Because for a venture capitalist, it's invest 10 million, lose. Invest 10 million, lose. Invest 10 million, lose. I've lost 90 million, but on the 10th one, I made 150 million. I win. I'm in the game. I'm using an example that is very void of faith, arguably. That I'm in this just on a, on a ratio of averages. But then you bring in the idea that, well, as an Adventist business person, my business idea somehow may have a core principle based on mission. That there is some mission to your business. Well, if that's the case, then you can say, you know what, I think I've actually got the Lord on my side. But what happens when you hit that failure mark? Has the Lord abandoned you? It may be that there is an actual principle of attempt, and that didn't work. Make an attempt, and that may not have worked. And I think as a community, it is very powerful when we encourage the spirit of attempting things. Right? Make an attempt. Oh, you failed? Making another attempt. And, and together, we're going to find ways to move forward. Uh, I've had the pleasure to read a few books in the past year. One of them was by the CEO of Pixar and now Disney Animation. It's called Creativity, Inc. Has anyone read that book? Creativity, Inc.? It's a really interesting book, and the core I got out of it was something called Candor. Creating a culture of candor in an organization. So just for some of you who have joined us, I'm trying to give my quick pitch and spiel, and then we're going to break out into some type of workshop, real-life uh, discussion. But in this book, Creativity, Inc., he says basically... We started to realize at Pixar, why did we have success after success after success? And we started to really analyze what is causing us to have success. Because I have a belief 
that the worst thing that can happen to you is having success in the wrong area. Or having success and you don't even know why. That's, that's not a good thing. Um, so he started to analyze these different scenarios and he started to see we have this culture of candor. Now I want to ask you in your organization, your company, do you have this culture of honesty, candor, that can go up to someone and say, Christina, this is what I really think. Right? And, and as Seventh-day Adventists, it seems like we should be the most transparent and honest people where we could do that. And what Ed Catmull began to describe was, he brought people in a room that didn't necessarily have skin in the game on the film project. But they were people that really loved the art of film. And they had experience in this industry. So think about the industry you're in. Are there people that have had experience there that you could bring into a room that would give you feedback? These individuals at Pixar did not have to take the advice. But what happened was they knew the people giving the advice cared for the end product. And so therefore that caused them to listen maybe a little more attentively. And what happened was success after success after success. Because if somebody has built up, I care for you, and I'm going to tell you some honesty, you know that it's not a personal attack. There's a healthy place where we can begin to detach ourselves from our project, from our current venture, from our current activity, where we say, this is what I'm creating, working on. What do you think? And if somebody says, well, I have issue with this piece, we don't take it personally. And then get reactive. And it's so easy to get reactive. Well, I actually think, uh, I think your book is way too many pages. Oh, you'd think that. You don't even know how to read. Right? We, we get reactive and we almost get rude. But if we knew people cared for us, then we'd see different results. So let me tell you what he learned at Disney. At Disney, he learned, he gets into this and he said, hey, all right, what do we think of this project? Christina, what do you think? Evan, what do you think? Let's pass it around. Okay, yeah. Wow, everyone seems to think this project we're working on is going to be a home run. Is everyone sure here? Okay. Put it into the marketplace. Failure, bomb, losing tons of money. And he goes back and he says, did you really think, Gilbert, did you really think this was going to be a successful film? No, not at all. But I couldn't say that because, I mean, that guy's my boss and he would have issue with me really telling what I really feel. And he started to realize, this was the point where he realized what was working at Pixar and how would it compare to Disney? Let's make some personal application perhaps in our local church perhaps in our local business, perhaps in our families? Have we built up a relationship where we can actually be honest with each other? Have we built up that cup of goodwill? Have we deposited money into that bank account of goodwill where we can write some checks where we really can be honest with each other? And, and creating this culture of candor, I believe, is the first step to any successful organization because it allows us to be honest Otherwise, we're in a project, we're in the planning of something, and we're not letting everyone know what we really feel. And then that means we're actually holding back blessings that God can use us to give because we won't be honest with someone. We're afraid it'll hurt their feelings, but the truth of the matter is, we're responsible for that failure unless we are totally openly honest with that person. So that, that's one thing that I thought was very fascinating. Another book I read I want to share with you. I'm just sharing a few principles, then we're going to jump in. This book was called Design to Grow. It was by the VP of Innovation of Coca-Cola. 
he started to talk about the two great, or the, the one great blessing in each of two camps. The value in a startup organization is agility. We can do anything we want. Hey, we're going to make leather shoes out of plastic. People are going to think it's leather, but it's really plastic. And we're going to grow a tree that actually is kind of like plastic. It's going to be crazy revolutionary. And we're going to do it, and somebody comes to say, hey, you know you can make great iPhone cases with that texture. We are now making iPhone cases. This is a great business. And we can easily maneuver very quickly because we don't have some organization like a big ship that has to be turned. Then he said, okay, so agility is the asset in a startup. You can pivot easily. What is the asset in a large organization, a, a, an established organization? Scalability. It's where an organization, organization could take an idea and put it in 10,000 locations overnight. That a startup does not have. So let's take the church, for example. A startup church with no anything could say, hey, we're going to do this. And you're agile and you can do that. But you're also going to do it in one little lone corner in one city of the earth. Let's take the Seventh-day Adventist church. Could say, hey, we have found the perfect uh, outreach seminar that teaches people the principles of our faith and people want to join us every time they watch it. What we have the mechanism to do, in theory, is to plug that in to tens of thousands of churches around the world overnight. And that's pretty neat. So the question is, why do we have a disconnect, oftentimes, let's say, within the church, of people with a good idea, but the church that could scale it? And what I want to find is a way in which we can encourage those ideas within the church, just like businesses do in their organization. Let me give you an example. I was at a conference a few months ago, and I was listening to some large organizations that realized there is an atmosphere and a climate right now where these big guys can have a chunk of their market share taken very quickly by a startup. Because the startup is agile, they're doing something different, and man, we just lost 10% market share to these wahoos working out of a garage. We don't know why they're successful and why are people using their product. And so they thought, you know what we should do? We should bring these inside. What if we almost had this internal cannibalization model that said, Gilbert, I want you to hire a team. Your goal is to beat us at our own game. And as soon as you feel you've beat us, Google, for instance, with the X Labs and things, Skunk Works, as soon as you beat us, we're going to take your idea because we pay you, and then you have to go beat us again. And if companies or organizations or schools, I mean, we represent a lot of different ideas in this room. If we started to take that mentality that say, who is within our own organization trying to beat us at our own game? who, when we have that spirit of candor and that honesty, they could come to us and say, look, I know we think we have the best school around, but we don't. And here's what I think would do that. So I'm going to start this, and this is where we have to actually empower it with some resources. We have to enable it to succeed, meaning your lab has to have some money to test things, to do some research and development, to be built on this idea of you're probably going to have nine failures, but you'll get the tenth one. Because when you do... We are going to adapt it, and we will not lose our market share in the world. Right? So this, this is happening in the world. 
Many are starting to realize this. And I think within our movement, we could see some radical things happen if we began to say, how do we disrupt ourselves? Right? So, so there's a few things that I believe Adventism is poised to disrupt. Number one, anything to do with health care. We are poised for disruption. I think it was literally given to us as our asset. The Lord said the world is going to get sick. Their minds are going to be not clear. You can make a ton of money with this, and you'll prepare the world to hear the one message I'm going to give them. Right? He gave us that. So the question is now, how do we take that idea and look out into the landscape and say, who out there is trying to disrupt healthcare, and how do we disrupt it better than they are? We can do that. Health food. I mean, now you have literally huge venture capital firms, tech firms, investing into health food to disrupt food. And, and the primary motivation is money. Look, the earth is not going to, it's not sustainable like it once was. We can't raise animals like we used to, so let's make fake meat, right? That's why it's exciting to see Don acquiring other companies, Don Otis with Heritage Health Food, acquiring other companies and finding ways in which we can merge and grow bigger companies because there is something about a synergy. This leads me to a point about our desire often to be independent. So a lot of times we have this sense of hesitancy with working with one another. My organization is built on these principles, and your organization is built on those principles, and I'm going to use an extreme example. You think a tomato is a fruit, and I think it's a vegetable. And because you think that, we can't work together. Now, hey, there are clearly some theological issues, right? And there are some things where clearly principle wouldn't allow things to happen. But I think we need to be a little more grace-driven to say, you know what? What are our core principles? How could we work together? Is it really smart that we both pay a CPA every month? Is it really smart that we're both marketing our same services? Is it really smart that we market to the same churches and the same churches have a confusion on their hands of what, which of our 28 different products, which they really think all kind of do the same thing, is that really smart? When often we could look in a secular world and say, somebody may have the proposal of, hey, why wouldn't 19 of us merge? And uh, what's the confusion here? Oh, money? Oh, then let's make a contract. And we'll clarify any confusions with, with the money. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.